each year we never start off the new year wanting it to be the worst year of our life, do we? And uh, every year we, we kick off with that, the minute the midnight goes from, uh, the, the, the minute we go from midnight to, to just 12.01 in the, in the morning on January 1st, we have this brand new sense of a fresh year showing up and coming in and, and we really have all these intentions, all these hopes and all these dreams for what our new year could look like. And, and uh, so I just wondered what it would be like for a church if we actually committed to having the best year of our life. And, and we started talking about this last week when, when we said that we'll have the best year of our life if we are taking intentional steps towards Christ. And we're going to take that down uh, just a level today and explore some more practical manners, uh, practical ways that we can do that. Um, but, but in every house, uh, there's always two major arguments, isn't there? There's always arguments around uh, some scheduling, and there's always arguments around money, right? Like everything, like, all right, what do we do with our time, and how much money do we spend, right? And we always interact with these elements on it, and I, I, I always wondered what it would look like, oh, and then sometimes you throw politics in there, which that one goes really well all the time. But when you look at all of these, I wonder what it would look like if we actually began to orient them around Jesus. If we took all of the major aspects, we're going to talk about three of them today, but if we actually made Jesus the center of all of them, and we, we said, no, 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 you, not only is it our way of doing it, it's your way of doing it. I'm going to do it the way you said I should, and I, I believe when we orient our lives around Jesus, every aspect of our life, we actually will have the best year of our life. And so Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5. So if you want to grab those Bibles on your seats um, uh, that were around you, Ephesians chapter 5, it's going to be page number 980. Um, or you can look on your phone if you're version, if you do version, or you can just stare at me blankly. It's cool too. That's, uh, that's awesome. I love when that happens, when you... Just love when I can lock eyes. It's awesome. Ephesians chapter 5, page 980. I'll follow along there. Paul is going to talk about um, this. Now, in the New Testament, uh, the, the, the New Testament times, the, the, the writings of everybody, every book, every element of the New Testament was written to Jewish, first century, Jewish and Greek first century people. Why that matters is because we are not first century Jewish Greek or Greek people, are we? Uh, we are uh, Eastern United States, Americans, and 21st century people. And so we begin to read and interact a lot of what the New Testament is through those lenses. A lot of times what we have to do, and, and most times what we have to do, is try to take those lenses off a little bit so that we can see what is actually happening in the New Testament. And one of those things, one of the things that just kind of happens to be in the background of every verse and something that they didn't have to really talk about much is that when you learn something about God, there is always an activity that happens after it. Always an activity that happens after it. Us as, as, us as good Western Americans, what we like to do is we like to find something out and then we love it, just stay there. We just say, you know, this is cool, that's enough for me. I just know that information now, everything's okay. And that's something that really has become a part of uh, how we were raised. It's our culture. It's kind of just something, something we can do. And in fact, many times you can see it in the way that we address God. Um, Jewish people often would address him um, in some sort of manner by his activity in their lives. And so they would describe God as, a, as God is like a rushing river or some sort of movement that, that people could actually feel and engage and, and see. with their. But for us, as, as Western Americans, what we like to do is just say God is holy, or 
God is faithful. And there's a difference between just how we interact with that type of language. In the New Testament, these people that are interacting with church world from the, this, this time frame in life, they are hearing something to be true and they're realizing that everything has to be different about their life in order for them to live the way it's said. And so from there, people are interacting with this whole idea. So if the gospel is true, if Jesus is Lord, if that changes everything, they don't leave that place without everything changing. Their entire life, that everything, the, the truth of this permeates into everything about their life. And, and, and so really Paul is, is explaining, he's going to take this a step further in explaining this. When you read Paul's letters, which in the New Testament is a, is a number of them, he writes a lot of them in the New Testament. When he's writing to the, 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 the different churches, often you can see this very clear line right in the middle of the book where the first half of the book, he's often describing the gospel and who Jesus is and what his work is done, was done and how he's king and how that changes everything. And then from there, it says, typically has a word, therefore, here's how you should live. Here's how everything works now as a result of Jesus being king. Oftentimes, and, and, I, and I would say oftentimes in our churches here in America, we like the first half and we hear all of the knowledge and we hear all the truth and then we don't have the therefore. And we forget that, hey, you know what? Our marriage needs to look different if Jesus is king. Our finances need to look different if Jesus is king. Our relationships need to look different if Jesus is king. Our schedule, our, our service, our every, our, the way we go to work, the, people, the way we interact with our co-workers, like everything's different because Jesus is king. And so here we often see, um, it, it, in the book of Ephesians, it's no different. And so Paul's going to take this idea of Jesus is Lord. Here's what we should do. Ephesians 5, verses 15. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like, but like those who are wise. Make most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. And so Paul simply says this. He goes, if Jesus is king, live like those who are wise. Live a wise life. In the NIV it says, don't be like the unwise. And so today, if we want to have the best year of our life, I wonder what it would look like if Jesus is king and is permeating every area of our life, how to have a wise life. And what areas of your life are wise versus what areas are unwise? What areas are set up to be what the Bible might call a little foolish or maybe just a, a, dis, a disengaged or some sort of idea? Um, or maybe if it is wise, what it might look like. And so today I just want to explore three of those. There's many of them. You have aspects of your life uh, that I don't know about. And this will, you'll probably think through some of this stuff as I'm talking. Uh, but I'm going to explore three of those with you, give you some tools to help you do that. And then we're going to have a time of reflection to kind of hang out and, and allow God to do some work in us at the end. Are we good? Yeah, sweet. Awesome. Excited. Can't wait. All right, cool. Excited about that. Cool. All right. We can orient around Jesus three things. Number one is our time. And as I was making this outline, I realized that I wrote it in one socket grammar. 
um, if for any of you that might know that. Um, we orient around Jesus our time. Yeah, throw me down the stairs, the shoes. Um, so I just for all you locals, that's a, a treat for you today. Uh, you get to have that. That's free. You don't even have to pay for that. All right, <clears throat> number one, we can orient around Jesus uh, our time. We can orient our time around Jesus. Psalm 90 says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we can orient our time around Jesus. Um, I, if I live according to the average age of, of those in the United States right now, which is 78.7 years, I have 47 summers left. Now, that's a, that's a number, right? That's like a true number. If you are older, you might have different numbers. If you are younger, you might have some different numbers there. Um, if, you're, uh, in, in the, 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 if you're much older in life, maybe those are negative um, in some way. Who knows? Um, like you have come to understand that each season of your life is actually packed with meaning. If you have 47 summers, if you have 40 summers left, if you have 23 summers left according to the average age expectancy, what are you going to do with those? If we, see, if we number our days, if we are intentional about our time, if our schedule doesn't just go off by itself with no control, we can actually number our days, and the Bible says that we can have wisdom by how we engage in them. See, a lot of times what we do is we live day to day or week to week, um, but in many, te- many cases, there's, there's, there's evidence to be, that we should be living with an idea of what the next three to five years look like. When it comes to raising our children, I often say that we should be thinking about not just our, grand, our, not just our kids, but our grandchildren's grandchildren. So we need to have a six-generation vision for our children and their worship and them following Christ. When you number your days, you'll have wisdom to intentionally pursue and orient yourself around Christ, even in your schedule. There's a, a breakdown, a simple breakdown that a friend of mine uses when it comes to these uh, major elements of our schedule. And there's really four buckets um, that we can use, that we, can ask, that we should be asking questions about. Number one is our time with God. When are you abiding? If John 15 says that we, are, we find life when we're connected to the vine, when are you abiding? Are you intentionally carving out time to abide in Christ so that you can have life? If you're feeling like you're a little short on life this morning, maybe you're missing this piece. When are you abiding in Christ? You have 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or, or time carved out in your week. Maybe it's a day. Or like maybe you take an intentional Sabbath every week. And who knows? When are you abiding so that you can understand who God is and who God is not? Number two is you. When are you growing? And you can even add in there growing or resting, intentionally resting in order to understand that you aren't Superman. When are you growing and when are you resting? When are you taking specific time so that you can sharpen your tools, so that you can learn something new, so that you can actually engage with something um, in a new way? Or when are you uh, disconnecting and you're saying, okay, I, my productivity is not what's causing this world to go around and around and around. 
Number three is family. When are you connecting intentionally? Like, when are your date nights? When are your family nights? Um, do you have dinner together every night? Do you, or do you try to have dinner together often? When are your home? Is it just disconnected time? Or are you engaging with your family speci- on specific things? Like right now, Channing loves football, which is amazing. <laughs> right? Because you're like, I'm connecting with my kids, babe. Like, like we're watching football together. That's... So, so he just loves, like, but, but like, are you actually engaged or are you disengaged when you're home? And work, how are you serving? Not, maybe not just the nine to five or maybe your career, maybe your career lines up nicely with some of your, your heartstrings, but, but when are you serving? When are you actually producing or pouring out the, the mission of God that, he's, that, has, that has been given to you, the, this, this opportunity to participate in the restoration of all things? Like, how are you engaging through your work? And so about 10 years ago, um, I started engaging with this in a, in a new way. And I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a geek when it comes to some of this stuff. So I, I found out that there's some new ways that you can actually uh, interact with your schedule. And as I was interacting with this, I realized that in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people didn't actually see their day as morning and evening. They saw their days as more evening and morning. And you can see this in Genesis 1. When, as God is in his creative uh, mind, is, is, is talking about, is, is, Moses is writing about this, uh, this moment of creation where he says, and there was evening and morning the first day. And there was evening and morning the second day. And there was evening and morning the third day. And the fourth day. And it's this rhythm, this, this moment where it's, it's kind of this, it has this meter to it that, that we can interact with so that we can, so that, can, that rhythm can become part of us. But, but it really was evening and morning because here's what I love about this. Man was created on what day? Six, six. It was created on the sixth day. What does God do on the seventh day? He rests. What is man's first job, first responsibility upon being created? Resting. See, man's created on the sixth day. Do you think that God would be like, finally, I got some help. Finally, I got some help. Why don't you get involved? Why don't you start doing things? What is, no, no, what does he do? He says, hey, I want you just to delight in what I created for you. Hey, I want you to rest so that you can see my creative work. Hey, I want you to Sabbath so that you can realize that you did not create any of this, but I did See, as good Western Americans, what we like to do is we like to get caught up in our productivity. And we start off with our day. We get up in the morning, right, 6 a.m., we're ready to go, and we go to work, right? And, what, and if we don't work, oftentimes we, get, we, get, we, we spring up and we get engaged with our identity differently. Don't we, don't we, doesn't it challenge our identity if we're not doing something? Because what we do is our, our, our identity is connected to what we do. And if we take away what we do, well, we often question what our identity is. And that's not what God had in mind. Your identity is found in Christ and your identity is found in his image that he creates you in. And so he wants you to rest in that upon your first activity. And so for them, it was evening and morning. And so you start your day with the people that God gave you uh, to be in family with. And you, would, and you would continue your day sleeping. 
Today, in our, in our, I would talk about this a little bit more next week, but we got this bad relationship with sleeping. But for them, this deep rest to engage with what God is doing. And then what does he do when you wake up? He invites you into his creative work as the creator of all things. It wasn't your work, it was his work. And he invites you to participate in the world that he has created. Evening and morning. Evening and morning. Because every moment of our day is filled with redemptive potential. And he is inviting you not to figure out what you can produce, but see if you can find out what he did. See if you can figure out where he is. See if you can find him in your day-to-day. See if you can move throughout every minute, every moment of your day, and see if you can find the redemption of God. Our time is one of the most holiest things that we can uh, protect and engage in and actually intentionally distribute. If you're a young family in here, you know this, you know this to be true 100%. If you've got kids involved in anything, right? Like you just know this. Because often you move from day to day to day being told what to do with no control over your own life. No control over your own time. And so if we're going to orient our time around Jesus, and, and if in fact the Old Testament sets it up this evening and morning and he invites you into his creative work, I wonder what it would look like if we were to actually engage each of those four buckets with this structure. And so if I do this quick little exercise periodically. I don't do it like every single day. I don't, I'm not that much of a geek. I am a geek though. Um, but I, I, I start off every once in a while and I lay out, if I feel any craziness, like if I feel like, man, life is out of control, I use this to see what my normal day-to-day is. And I think, okay, okay, uh, what do I do in the evening? My first block, you know, six to nine o'clock or so. Okay, if that's filled with four things, you're probably feeling a little stressed. And so the challenge for me, that every time I do this, I want to put one thing in that box on a daily basis, one thing. Not four, not three, not two. And not like a 1A and a 1B, because I know how we do. I mean, that's, how we, that's how we roll, don't we? We try to like break our own rules. But one. Evening. So, the, so six to nine, how often can we get that to be family? My wife and I talk about this as, as much as we can. Our week to week, we want four nights home, at least four nights home. And then we got three that we're fighting over, like hard. We want four. It changed the way that we set her up, to, her interaction with her job, it changed the way that we do sports, it changed everything about it because we wanted to do four nights a week where that was nothing but the four of us. But then what do we do after that? We go to bed. And everyone's like, what time do you go to bed? Like 8.30 if I'm lucky, 9 o'clock on a bad day. But then if we do eight hours, which seven and a half if you're being scientific, I guess, what does that put us to? Sleep, sleep, sleep. Your evening is done. But what we do often is we try to jam-pack this one block and then we say, everything feels crazy. And you're like, I wonder why. Because we got this one thing. 
that's one block supposed to be one, not five. And then what God does is he invites us out of this evening into his creative work in the morning where his mercies are new. His mercies can't be new if it's all based off you. His mercies are new because it's all based off him. He invites you into the morning and then you can split up your time where this is actually uh, work and you and all these different ways that you can split that up. But again, if you put one thing in each one of these buckets, you'll find yourself feeling much less stressed because you're not trying to make the world go round with how much you get done. And so if you've got to work eight hours, right? Say this is nine o'clock all the way to six. That puts you back over here. What do you do? You're in family time. That often requires us learning the word no. Because even our discipleship can often be understood by how much activity we're doing versus how much growing we're doing. Activity doesn't mean you're growing. Activity means you're busy. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is learn the word no and spend intentional time with the people and the things that we're actually supposed to be spending time with. We need to orient our time around Jesus, evening and morning, evening and morning, and let him invite you into his creative work so that you can see all that he was up to and all that he wants us to be involved in. So we need to orient our time around Jesus. Number two, we need to orient our money around Jesus. Matthew 6 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Even Matthew, uh, even, uh, uh, actually Proverbs 21, not Matthew 6. Proverbs 21 says, Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. How many times do we feel like our financial world feels like hurry and scurry? I think one of the biggest things that we got to learn when it comes to our money is to beware of quick money. Sometimes when we hear, oh, I can make how much and how fast, it never lives by itself. It's always tied to some other expense. So we need to have careful planning, not hurry and scurry. And maybe for you, you're already past the hurry, scurry part. You're at the careful planning part and you're feeling ahead. Now what we can do is actually say, okay, where's your heart? And does your heart look like Jesus? Does your heart look like Jesus? And so when we consider these things, we have to be intentional. We have to orient our time. If, if, if intentionally taking steps towards Christ is what's going to give us the best year of our life, and if we need to orient our entire life around Jesus, then we need to be intentional about how we do this with our money. And so, again, when, when you uh, came in, you hopefully received one of these guys. This is a, just a little work tool thing for you to leave with or you can grab one on your way out but this is all included in uh, in that so you can do some of these exercises at home but here's just a simple little tool for you Um, two little things maybe if you don't do any sort of a simple budget 
um, just do a simple budget, that would be really helpful. But one of the other things that I, um, that I do that helps me, um, that this is why I included it, it helps me, I don't know if it'll help you or not, but I put these little percentages, this is right out of Dave Ramsey's tool book too, so toolbox, but I put these little percentages about how much money should you be spending on something. And there's just a simple benchmark. Maybe for you, you're like, well, I really like everything to be in the personal box, right? Like I like a lot more money in the personal box than I do in the debt box. Uh, but, but really, how much should I be spending in that? And so it, just to kind of help you give you a little map, but maybe one of the most challenging things that uh, uh, for, for, uh, for many of us can be a simple plan to get out of debt. Um, and it might be something, it might be a massive thing. Maybe, maybe just a tip for the sake of conversation, we take uh, our mortgage off this list. And, but anything that's on the debt list, uh, I wonder what it would look like if you were to take your debts and your monthly total and list them out from greatest to smallest, add up the total monthly payment, and just pay that total monthly payment until all of it's gone. I bet you will feel rich if you did that. Many times we feel like everything's strapped, everything's really completely, everything's just a mess, but a lot of times it's simply because we don't have margin with what God has entrusted to us. Remember, we always talk about this, that money is not ours. God has given us the money that we earn, and we are supposed to be good managers of it. The Bible calls it stewardship. Like, we're supposed to be good stewards of it, and so I bet we would feel completely different if we were just to eliminate the things on this list. Because sometimes when you add that up, you're like, man, I am rich. Sometimes when I, when I think about student loans, I look at Mercedes Benz and I go, I can afford that. <laughs> Just kidding. That wasn't funny. But, um, but I think, wow, that's an amazing, like, I could buy one of those. No. But in all reality, when you look at where your money goes, you think, okay, hey, Let's just take, continue to take care of this. Let's continue to move through this. Let's continue to be intentional about how we take every dollar we get. Because if God is king, if Jesus is Lord, then he's even Lord over my money. And so just a couple of simple tools for you to, to take a step when it comes to your finances um, in that. Um, and we can, uh, it's, it, I, I really think that'll change your life. Financial peace starts this week. Um, and I'll tell you what, talk to, talk to somebody who's gone through it. We've had about 28 people go through that now. Almost $100,000 in debt paid off in a year between all of those families. Like thousands of probably $30,000, $40,000 in money saved. Like people are taking intentional steps. And I think in suburban churches like us, this is one of our biggest strongholds. Biggest strongholds. And so I just would challenge you what it would look like for you to take a step in this, um, in this way. Um, number two, so one, we can orient our time around Jesus, our money around Jesus. Lastly, number three, we can orient our gifts around Jesus. First Peter 4 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So when someone says to you the word gifts, do you know what your gifts are? Do, do you know what that means? Give me a quick round of, uh, give, give me quick, some quick hands, a few of us. Okay. If you're online, you're raising your hand by yourself, which is cool. I love that. Um, but if, so a few of us say, hey, do you know what your gifts are? 
when you're talking about the, the scriptures, there's this uh, just kind of an underlying idea and I've found in a few different places that God has given us certain natural abilities and certain, na- and certain gifts that allow us to serve really well. Whether that's serving in the church or going to work or interacting with the world in any way, that God has given us certain abilities uh, to interact with the world in a great way. So much so that you can say, I am good at that and I am not good at that. And for many of us, we don't even know ourselves enough to understand what our gifts might be and what our gifts might not be. Right now in, our, in, in church world culture for sure, and many times when you get into the workplace, um, when someone says, yes, I'm good at that, we often see them as arrogant, not as self-aware. We think, okay, you're just an arrogant person. Or they just know themselves really well because I bet they have 14 things on that I'm not good at this list too. If I got two things I'm really good at, I got 25,000 that I'm terrible at. And so I was talking with a friend this week and I was, I was saying to him, you know, just kind of explaining some different things and some different scenarios. And I was like, and then I ended this phrase, I was like, oh, you know, all normal stuff. And he was like, dude, that's not normal stuff. That's not normal stuff. You have a capacity to interact with that and it's not normal. But I would bid to, to, to kind of say to you today, I bet you have an area in your life where you think, oh, this is just normal stuff, and nobody thinks it is. I bet there are some of you in here that love Excel spreadsheets. Some of you like weep like with joy when Excel spreadsheets have five tabs and they're aggregating content from six other programs from like 90 years worth of data, you feel right at home. And I think you're not of God. How can someone, I'm like, that's not normal. That's not normal. And you're like, oh, it's fine, no big deal. Let me just like speak in my code. I'm gonna like, just gonna code some macros over here and make sure this, no, that's not normal. And if that's one of you, come talk to me after service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but, it's, but there are all, every one of us have these areas where we brush off like it's no big deal, but it's actually the gift that God has given us to interact with the world. And so what are they for you? And how are you using it to steward, how are you stewarding it as a grace that God has given to you, as a good gift and so as a part of just some more exercises for you um, to do, if maybe this is your area, is the, maybe the first thing you need to do is learn about yourself. If, if you're in this spot and you're like, I don't know the difference between gift and not gift. I don't know what the difference between um, good and bad is. I don't, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I'm bad at. I would say start with some simple tools um, to learn about yourself in an objective manner. And, and you know what, a lot of times these, these tools that are like, are supposed to help you um, interact with your personality, whatever, and it, sometimes they do kind of just put you to an, into a box. And so, you know what, just use it as reference. Use it as a way, maybe it's a sentence or two in the description that might help you with something. Who knows what it is? I took one and it literally was the summarizing sentence. None of the information <laughs> really helped much, but there's this one sentence on the title page I was like, oh my word, that was so helpful to understand so many different things about myself. Um, but, 
but one of these things simply to use a tool. And so you're gonna, you have these tools available to you. There are some free versions online as well that you can take. Some of these are paid, like you have to just shell, you know, shell out a little bit for it. Um, but, but some of these are really, really helpful for you simply to understand some objectivity about how you interact with others, how you engage with some different gifts that you might, uh, some different uh, gifts that you might, you might have, uh, but just simply learn about yourself through some objective tools. Another one um, that I would uh, highly recommend, if I was, as a pastor, if I could like, make anything mandatory, I would, make, I would make everyone carry a journal around all the time so that you could just capture thoughts and put your thoughts somewhere. But, but you've got to journal some thoughts. Um, and so some of those questions that you might have is, one, is inspiration. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you out of bed in the morning? We need to inventory that type of emotion. If something gets you out of bed in the morning, we have to know what that is. And if you can narrow that down to one or five, or whatever, if you can narrow those down and name them, you will learn how to appreciate those much more than you do right now. And so inspiration, what gets you out of bed? Vision, what breaks your heart? When you are interacting with, uh, with the news or you are at work and hearing someone's story or you hear about something happening in your family and you just feel your heart breaking, what are those things? Because for some of us, they're not the same as others. Some of us can sit in things much easier than others can. And for you, there might be a call or there might be a mission packed into what breaks your heart that God has uniquely wired you to do something about. Pain. Uh, every one of us has a past experience that God can redeem. We all have, if we've been living life for a little bit, um, in any sort of normal way, we've, been interact, we've interacted with pain at some point in our life. And God is in the business of redeeming those things and helping us serve the world from them later on in life. So what are those past encounters? Maybe there's something found in there. Um, encounters, what past life events have shaped you? Maybe it was a job or a person or a past boss. Maybe it was a hobby. Maybe it was something that you like to do. Maybe it was someone that you interacted with often. It was, maybe it was a, a specific uh, organization or maybe something, a story that you were, maybe, who knows, maybe there was something massively uh, important over the course of your life. And how can you use that encounter or what can you learn about that encounter that can move you into the future? And lastly, uh, talent. What natural talents do you have? Again, I just talked about this, but, but there are some things that you should be able to say that you are good at and not feel arrogant about it. Not feel arrogant about it. You say, I'm good at this. Because if you know you're good at it, you know what things you're terrible at. And you can say, I'm, not, I'm terrible at those things, and I should not be doing them. And so knowing that about yourself is so helpful when it comes to using your gifts and orienting them around Jesus. Um, and then there's another just simple tool. Jim Collins, good to great, um, wrote this thing, wrote an idea called the personal hedgehog, um, which is just an interesting, just incredible concept where you can find out the dream job or your dream thing to do with your life. Um, and there's some different ways that you can uh, uh, figure that out. Um, but our gifts need to be oriented. Every one of you have been placed in a certain period of time in a certain area so that people can feel and find their way towards God. And he's gifted you, he's given you certain tools and natural talents that he needs to participate in the reconciliation of all things and in the restoration of all things so that we can see God's glory and so that we can get God's joy.
And so we see all those things. So what I love about this, though, is that when we orient our time, when we orient our gifts, when we orient our money, we begin to see that there's life outside of our way of doing life. And what I love about that is that Jesus talks about this in John 10.10, where, where he talks about having life and how he gave him to give life. If you can throw that on the screen. He says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. God's plan for you was not to have a full, overwhelming life. And many times in the areas of our schedule, in the areas of our time, uh, in our, of our money, and in the areas of, of what we should be doing and how we should be using our gifts, we often feel overwhelmed, not full. And, but Jesus' plan for you was to have a full life, something that was engaging. But what I love about this verse also is that it lets us know that there's a thief. There's a thief that wants nothing more than to pull you away from this way of life. That wants nothing more for, than you, for you to have an overwhelmed and stressed out life. And we move day in, day out. And instead of doing something different about the way we interact with our relationships, the, our workplaces, or even ourselves, so we move through life packed with anxiety, trying to figure out ways that we can manage it all instead of trying to find a new way, which is the Jesus way. And so his plan for you is that you live a full life, but there is a thief that wants you to move, away, move you away from this life. And we need to rest in the fact that he can only do this work in us. And so today, for you, it could be your money, it could be your schedule, it could be your gifts, or it could be one of 19 other areas of your life, but which way are you living wise and which way are you living unwise? Because when we can live wise and live the way of life that Jesus said is possible to live, we can see the best year of our life. So today, what we're going to do is move into a reflection period of time. And a lot of times on a Sunday, we'll end with some more bigger music and different things. Uh, but I'm not going to do that today. Um, you know, just kind of like last week, I sent you off in sort of an active, an active mindset. I, today, I, wanted, I want us to spend some time just reflecting. Maybe for you, it's one of these three. Maybe for you, you have another area of your life that you need to orient around Jesus. And you know it's not orienting around Jesus at this point. And so for me, for you, I just want you to take a few minutes this morning. We're going to have uh, just a video play. and We're going to move into this time together. Um, but I just want you to take some time and relax and rest and consider these things. Sometimes for you, this might be the only 10 minutes you have for the week. And I want you to take it up and use it well. We're going to move into this reflection and allow God to do something in us.